All right, Tyler. All right, Johnny. You like U2, don't you? Yeah, of course. Then you might like The Clash by The Clash. strains of white riot die away it's time for us to go all the way back to 1977 and review the clash the clash yeah so following on quite naturally i think from the ramones we have the clash the clash following the ramones the ramones or ramones ramones God, we've already got into a, it's, a, a it's yeah it's really um it's quite hard. i begrudge i begrudge googling the clash the clash and ramones ramones for <laughs> two weeks in the run yeah because really with a with a search engine, you should only have to put that in once, but if you just put it in once, then you get the band, but if you put it in twice, you get the album. So it works, but it annoys me. Mm. Okay, so uh, goodbye, listeners, <laughs> after that amazingly slick opening. So, Ramones. Now, Joe Strummer himself, who's the lead singer, and uh, I'd say principal songwriter in a lot of ways for The, the Clash. Clash. What? He said Ramones. D- did I say for the Ramones? He said, so, Ramones. So, Joe Strummer... Yes, but the reason for that is because I'm going <laughs> to talk This about, is going to get so complicated. Talk about a quote about the Ramones from Joe Strummer, who's the singer in The Clash. Right, so... I'm with you. Go ahead. There's lots of documentaries, by the way, that if you're getting into The Clash, I can very heavily recommend The Futurism Written, which is more about Joe Strummer himself, and West Ways of the World, which is about The Clash in, in general. So, Strummer says in one of those documentaries, I can't remember which, it might be both because he's, he sort of duplicates a lot of material from him... Um, it can't be stressed how great the Ramones were to the London punk scene, or you know the London music scene at that time. I guess the punk scene hadn't really come into fruition yet. The songs were simple to play, and he and Paul, the bassist in The Clash, who was actually quite new to the bass when he started the band, they would just sit there playing for hours and hours in their rehearsals, in their rehearsal rooms, getting used to what this new style of music was like. It's quite a common story that that the bassist is quite new to the instrument. Yeah, I can't really can't really play it. Well, that's one U2 connection because Adam was quite new to the bass when he started. Edge was definitely... still is. <laughs> You're usually the one defending. I thought, yeah, I thought I'd say that before somebody else did. Um, okay, I still love you, Adam. So we're going to try and avoid having too long a discussion of punk as we did last week. And just as a very quick uh, recap for anyone who's coming to this episode for the first time, Tyler and Johnny, we do the Review Two podcast. We've reviewed all of U2's albums, so now we're looking at the bands that U2 have either influenced or been influenced by, and this is obviously in the latter category. Now, I said, don't want to have too long a discussion of punk because I think it's a real thorny pile of thorns, and we can get spiky. On that. I would say spiky. Well, I was yeah, fine. So the Sex Pistols, I don't really particularly like them personally, but obviously they are fundamental to punk, they're fundamental to the Clash, and therefore to U2. So. We had a discussion last week about you know who was the first punk band. I don't want to get into all that. It could be the New York Dolls, who were a massive influence on Mick Jones from The Clash. It could be the Stooges. There's lots of other bands who people will absolutely claim their whole musical reputation. These were actually the original punk band. Now, the important thing is that The Clash, for me, are the most vital British punk band, in my own opinion. They're much more interesting and engaging than The Sex Pistols, and I think that this will be a really, really interesting episode because it's such a raw album that we're going to be talking about. But let's talk about the U2 connections first. So most recently, we've had the connection to a song, just like 
last week when we had the miracle of Joe Ramone, we've got This Is Where You Can Reach Me Now. And this was a song inspired by a Clash concert that you two went to in 1977. Uh, so Bono said, after we saw The Clash, it was a sort of blueprint for you too. This is an interview he did with Rolling Stone. We knew we couldn't possibly hope to be as cool, and that's proven to be true. But we did think we could get behind a sort of social justice agenda. So this is one of the many points of connection between U2 and The Clash, that dedication to a social and political idea, not just making money and not just getting famous for the sake of being famous, but to change minds, to change hearts and possibly to change the world. So here's a quote from Bono speaking on the film The Future is Unwritten. Again, I'd really recommend people go and watch that. And the sound quality is not great because Bono's on a beach discussing this. But this is what he's got to say about The Clash's influence on U2. It's not a bad thing to have The Clash be your first ever rock show. 17 years old, hanging out with my mates, and we got into Trinity College, Dublin. At the back of the stage, they had a picture from the first album, which was a load of bobbies running down the street with truncheons, which was what was going on in London with the, the race riots. But in Ireland, it looked like Belfast. So it was a very, very, very uh, tense moment as this backdrop was opened up. A real sense of jeopardy. There was a violence in the air. I was terrified. I was excited. And rock and roll was not entertainment in that moment. It was not a matter of life and death, something much more serious. So me and my mates stayed up trying to figure out how we could all be in bands that meant as much as The Clash. Okay, thank you Bono for that candid interview. So what do you think, Tyler? What do you think about those words from Bono? Any things that ring true to you there? I think um, and it's hard to compare, you know, t- you know, times and, you know, different decades. Mm. Um I don't know if I've seen the level of you know danger, and I don't I don't think that I've seen you know on the streets like they they talk about it in Dublin mm. or in Belfast or in London at that time. I don't think we've seen that. No, we've, we've seen, seen shades s- of it. We've seen small examples of it, yeah. but I think uh, I think it's very well documented that Bono grew up in a very volatile time frame and mm. in these formative years um so i i get where it's coming from and i get why this type of music would seem like such release and such uh, such a not a get out clause but you know it's something something to do something to, to mm. use that energy yeah like he says the the fear but the excitement of it all yeah. to use that energy for something something positive and something good. Yeah. So I get that, but I don't know if I can fully relate to it. Yeah, well, no, that's fine. I just think that's a really good way of summing up how The Clash actually took the energy of the times. It was a time of political unrest, a time of great social unrest and inequality and, frankly, boredom. So along with all that sort of ennui and violence, The Clash balled that all up and turned it into something creative and vital. And to me, again, that's more authentically the the best essence of punk if we can take anything from punk it is that wow we can actually do this ourselves and out of that boredom we can fashion something creative and vital and it's not just to make lots of money or to drive a sports car it's to actually connect with an audience and i think that's a massive point of crossover there might be lots of clash fans listening to this thinking i don't like you two the sellouts the this that and the other 
but I think there is a massive connection between them on that particular front, and both of them come from that violent. Decade. Yeah, I think they, they're certainly like if even if the only connection is that they come from a similar place. That's still a huge connection mm. in terms of the motivation for a band. Yeah, and on record, I mean, you compare this to Boy, very different sound, obviously. There are some little tiny bits of crossover, but this is such a raw album, and it's going to be fascinating to talk about it and get your opinion on it, because I don't think you and I have ever really discussed the Clash album in a lot of detail, to be honest. No, um, I, I, don't think, I don't think we've ever... I, I know you're interested in the Clash, and strangely enough, it's kind of like you know I'm interested in Iron Maiden. Yeah. Um, but we don't we don't there's discuss not much crossover there. Yeah, there's no crossover, so there's no, I, I'm not going to you know run to you and say um, that oh Iron Maiden have got a new album coming out or does Iron Maiden tickets because I know you're not interested in that. See, I'm getting to getting to maybe getting to that point. Yeah, that I might see them live because I know they put on a really good show. Then again, I'd have to see how much the tickets cost. But um, you know. Yeah, I'm getting towards that. And I literally can't say the Clash you're going to play again because not only did Drostrummer die at 50, tragically, but they've pretty much agreed they're never really reforming. There's, they're not really seeming that they're interested in that. The closest you'll get is Mick Jones and Paul Simonon, bassist and lead guitarist from this album, playing together with Damon Alban for The Good, The Bad and The Queen um, and Gorillas and things like that. So they are still active, but then they're a bit like you too. They're very forward-thinking. They're not really bothered about just doing a legacy tour yeah. um, or just going back to things. So, yeah, I won't be saying that to you either. Well, fair enough. So, as Johnny says, um, and, and as you probably know if you listened to last week's episode, uh, The Ramones, The Ramones, or Ramones, Ramones, strike those thes out. So, um, I really need to get into kind of, to listen to this album, I need to get into the, the spirit of what The Clash actually mean. And I came across this little snippet from um, an article written for louder.com uh, loudersound.com mm-hmm. and it's it's by Scott Rowley. So this is just the opening paragraph for a review of um the clash the clash. I'm going to get so sick of saying that. Uh the holy trinity of punk was so per- perfectly formed that it's hard to imagine the scene without any one of them. The pistols searing and sneering, nihilistic and iconic the damned, the court jesters, daft, tough, tis was anarchic, a Brit- the British Sto- Stooges, MC5. I don't really know what that means, but... MC5 are a band. Oh, that's good. Uh, and <laughs> and the, the Clash. The Damned are also a band, and the Sex Pistols. I know, I know, I know the Damned, the Sex Pistols, and the Clash. And the Clash, uh, the Gutter Snipes, and the Street Punks, the voice you could relate to, and without whom it's hard to imagine the jam, Stiff Little Fingers, Sham 69, Generation X, let alone Green Day, Rancid, or even U2. Mm-hmm. So that... I'm Even if I'm not that familiar with... Uh, you know, the Sex Pistols and the Damned and the Clash. I know Green Day, I know Rancid, I know Sham 69, and, and I, you know, I've, I've heard of you 2 before yeah. um, a little bit. So I, I get the influence, yeah. and I can I like to be able to see the linearity or the family yeah. tree, if you will, the, the influence you're tree. Aware that, yeah, the, the, part of, the Clash are part of U2's DNA. Yeah. And whenever you get an interview with Bono or The Edge talking about the early days, it's, if it's not the Ramones, they will talk about the Clash. And that's why they went back to that for Songs of Innocence to write a song in tribute to them. So, yeah, yeah it makes sense. Um, I've got a quote from The Edge here. Um, the Clash, more than any group, kickstarted a thousand garage bands across Ireland and the UK. 
for you too and other people of our generation seeing them perform was a life-changing experience there's really no other way to describe it the social and political content of the songs was a huge inspiration certain for you certainly for you too it was the call to wake up get wise get angry get political and get noisy about it so yeah, yeah. I, mean, I can't, can't do better than edge in summarizing that so here we go we've got the clash it's the debut studio album by the english punk rock outfit the clash uh, released on 8th of april 1977 through cbs records it was written and recorded similarly to ramones self-titled release this was recorded in three weeks so incredibly short space of time and this was for a mere four thousand pounds so probably about the same amount actually as the ramones album it would go on to reach number 12 on the UK charts, and it's been included on many retrospective rankings as one of the greatest punk albums, and I would say just albums of all time. So, without further ado, Tyler, shall we get into The Clash? No. Okay, go on. We oh. have to count down the chart. We <laughs> I have forgot to, about that, yeah. We have to set that scene, baby. Right. Are we, so we're doing UK chart, obviously. UK chart, yeah. Right. So, hit it. So this is the UK chart from April 8th, 1977. In at number 10, holding the same spot... It's You Don't Have to Be a Star by Marilyn Cuckoo and Billy Davis. In at number 9, we've got Sir Duke by Stevie Wonder. Number 8, Sonny by Boney M. In at number 7, Have I the Right by Dead End Kids. Number 6, When by Shawaddy Waddy. Top 5 now. Number 5, Down from 2, Going With My Eyes Open by David Soul. In at number 4, Free by Denise Williams. Top 3 now. In at number 3, up from five this week, I Don't Want to Put a Hold on You by Bernie Flint. Number two, Red Light Spells Danger by Billy Ocean and holding the top spot for the ninth week running, it's Knowing Me, Knowing You by ABBA. Aha! Oh. Great. Well, I mean, I'm glad we ended on a high note. I didn't know very many of the other ones. Yeah, yeah. a high note. But I guess the... Very good. I guess one of the things that we want to stress as well, maybe it's not this particular chart that we're thinking about, but it's well documented that rock and roll music was very stale by this point, or at least that is the idea that comes across from all the interviews at that time. Even interviews with The Clash themselves, where they talk about the fact that there are people who all they want to do is play massive keyboard solos or huge prog albums, and to seem very, very disconnected from the vitality of what was going on at that particular political incident. Yeah, it's strange that you say prog, because I noticed some little instances in this album where that kind of slips in. What, really? Yeah, yeah, I, I felt it. I'd be very bit. interested to see where that was, because The Clash would be would be very unhappy about that at the particular time, because they were, they were going against the grain. They were trying to cut off from the past, and even wrote a song, it's not on this album, although it's included in some re-releases... Um, called 1977, where they do decry even the Beatles. They say no more Beatles, basically. Um, so there is that idea of a break with the past, and this being young and new and vital and do it yourself. I get that, and I, you know, I get the energy, but um, but yeah, I did, I did sense some influences popping in, and I don't think you, I don't think you can, you can get away from that. If you're writing music in a certain time, you're writing mm. music in in that time. And also, the Clash didn't stay this kind of punk pretty much at all the next album given enough rope is still quite rocky but it's it's not the kind of raw energy you get on this album and then london calling is a complete departure and yeah that's, i've that's always i've always you, uh, felt like album. they they have a, a more accessibility than some other punk bands yeah particularly in the later stuff which moved on to you know disco reggae ska 
um, dubstep, you know, not dubstep, what's it called? Dub, dub music. Dubstep. I'm happy with the dubstep. Isn't dubstep what Shrillex does? I have no idea what you're talking about right, right let's now. let's get on to the class then. Right. <laughs> so, here we go. So, track one is Janie Jones with a length of two minutes and three seconds. Now, this really was my first... Uh, not experience of the of the Clash, but a, of a of, of a Clash album. You know, I was sitting down to see what they do mm. uh, with with an album, and I think a debut album is really interesting. It's so different to the hits collections which you get, and it's not yeah. easy to get through life not having heard some of the Clash's big hits, which are often from a lot later on in the career. For example, Rock the Casbah, off the very last proper official fully united Clash album. And that has very little to do with what's going on here. But sorry, go on, no, I interrupted you. No, no, it's, it's fine. But I think the word I'm, I'm, pr- I'm probably going to overuse in this review is accessibility. Okay. I really, there were so many times throughout the album where I thought, that's so accessible. Anybody can listen to that. Mm. It's not so in your face punk that you're just going to turn off and go, I'm not listening to that. That's It's just a load of noise. Yeah. I think there is a lot of accessibility with this album. Yeah. Um, which helped somebody like me who's never really surrounded myself with that you know that punk mm. genre too much and it starts off with this happy little drum beat mm. and it is it's a happy drum beat it's, very it's, upbeat. it's joyful it makes you want to continue listening it's it's not offensive to the ears that like some punk i would say i would argue can be mm. um so it, it's a great vocal chorus um effect and i don't know if they just recorded a lot of different voices or if it is actually an effect i never know when you know certain effects actually got developed and were were ready to use in in productions Mm. like this they did a lot of singing round mics the clash right as in rather than having a kind of a suite of microphones set up everyone with their own little nuances plugged in remember this is a four grand album so it's singing around a microphone to capture that live energy really because the clash were one of those bands that would jump over to each other's microphones and sing at the same time and all three of the people at the front would sing although to varying degrees of success right okay so i mean i mean i'm very impressed with the 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 quality of the sound then if that's how they recorded it yeah just i mean we've recorded before and that must be an absolute (laughs) nightmare to do yeah um so yeah i'm really i'm really i'm really impressed with the way that came across the bass I'm going to say this now, but all the way through the album is just incredible. Mm. It's it's a lot louder in the mix than maybe you would expect, but it's always doing something, I would say, arguably vital. And I think I'll mention it if I think I feel like yeah. it's not. Well, that's interesting because Paul Simonon had pretty much only just started learning the bass to the point where, he said in an interview, he actually attached little stickers to his bass that said G and A, and whenever they wanted him to play a, a chord, they would just shout it out to him and he would follow on. From going to that to having an incredible bass line, like you've got here, the running bass line in the, in the chorus, and then that verse where it goes boom, 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 which is really jumpy and fun. It's It shows how quickly he developed. And The Clash as a band, and you'll see this probably more on the later albums, particularly London Calling, were just really good musicians. Joe Strummer never said he was any great shakes at playing guitar. One of the reasons why he changed his name to Joe Strummer is because he said he could only play either all six strings or none. So he just sort of would hack away at it. But even he's got an incredible presence on this album. And if you see them playing live at this time, the I don't know, it's a sort of like effortless 
raw messy but still they're all working together and playing at the same time you know what i mean they don't yeah. look amateur no i've always held joe strummer in in uh like quite a high regard with very little evidence it might have been my sort of hero worship of him throughout my team i mean i mean it could be but like i when i've had to have conversations about the clash i can always get away with oh yeah you know joe strummer is one of the most underrated Fill in the fill in the blanks, you know. Yeah. Hit, hit. Songwriters and and that, that that no, and I don't know how much of that I actually believe, but it's something I've found myself saying quite a lot. I feel like I believe it, but mm. in terms of actually providing any real evidence for that, then I don't think I can. Well, on this album we can, I guess. Um, so, in terms of what is this song all about, not just how it sounds. So, like the Ramones last week, this is a song, and the album really in general is about a lot to do with boredom, about having a lack of prospects, about having a job which is just a nine-to-five kind of drudgery. You're working so you can buy money for your car, so you can go to work, that kind of horrible cycle. Oh, Um, I used to dream of having a nine-to-five job. (laughs) I'm not doing the two Yorkshiremen. It's Um, the four Yorkshiremen. Well, there's only two of us. Oh, yeah. And we're both from Lancashire. Right, so um, so this is about a nobody who's in love with just the small sort of trivial aspects of life, like getting drunk and getting stoned and being in love with a glamorous woman. Who is Janie Jones? Now, there's a lot of interesting stuff about this person, Janie Jones. So when I first heard this song, I just presumed that's just a character, you know, Janie Jones. Whoa, it, it's just, it works, it's alliterative, so it, it makes sense. No relation to Paul, then? Paul Jones. Who's Paul Jones? Isn't he in the band? Mick Jones. Mick Jones. <laughs> Paul who then? Is there a Paul in the band? No. Oh, I'm probably thinking of the, the disciples. We got... <laughs> Jesus isn't in here either, or <laughs> Judas, or anyone. Oh, God, I think I've researched the wrong band. Yeah. Um, right, we've got Joe Strummer. He's the rhythm guitarist and lead singer. We've got Mick Jones, who's the lead guitarist. That's who I meant. Yeah. We've got Paul Simonon. So there is a Paul, but he's not Paul Jones. Right. Yeah? So there is there is a Paul. Okay. You're confusing me now. <laughs> and at this time we've got Terry Chimes, who um appeared on the album as Tory Crimes, um, because he was obviously against uh, against the Tories. Right. Um, Mick, any relation to Janie? Jones. No. <laughs> this is an awful segue. Right, so this is a this is someone who was well known at the time anyway, so she was scandalously involved in keeping brothels she attended the premiere of a film in 1964 in a sort of topless style dress and she was arrested um for being involved in what's called the payola scandal which was to do with paying paying money for wasn't a prostitute ring there's various things here but it's a lot to do with all it's to do with is radio play um something to do with prostitution and paying money to get records put on the air. I don't know. Look into it if you're interested. But she was a fascinating woman. And weirdly, she actually she actually met up with and hung out with The Clash after this. She, she kind of liked this tribute that they paid to her. Um, and in the 60s, if you want to hear Janie Jones, she actually had a, a sort of semi-pop career um, with the song Witch's Brew, which is an awful song. But if you want to just put something on that will make you cringe, it got to a whole 46 in the UK chart singles. Well, um, normally at this point when we mention utterly awful songs, we play, play them. them in the background. All right, well, here's a short snippet of Witch's Brew. Enjoy. <laughs> it's very odd. I mean, I can't believe I've never heard this song. It's an absolute classic. 
that horrible sound effect that's going that the bubbling. bubbling yeah it goes on through all the track it's so annoying I mean she should have been locked up for this track <laughs> <laughs> she's got a really weird accent on her so it's like a mixture of Scottish and Irish this must have been a children's song maybe I don't know that's enough of that I think there were a lot of weird novelty records, though, in, in the 60s and 70s. Um, I mean, we had the Crazy Frog in our day, so it's not something that only exists then. But, yep, well, there you go. That was that was Janie Jones. So um, so this is this guy. The song is about a guy who is just in love with Janie Jones and the idea that, that she represents this glamorous lifestyle that he'll never have. And, yeah, that's, that's why we have all these refrains of how bored he is with his life, really, and the fact that, his boss thinks that he's a shirker and yet he actually is trying quite hard and maybe the boss has pushed him so far that he's going to that he's going to you know sort of have a go at him and maybe explode at him and i think that's a good way to start off the album really it's about normal boring people in their boring lives being pushed to a, a state where they're ready to explode and the clash are a bit like that kind of dynamite here and that's why it's it's such a great song um so any, anything more to say on Janie Jones um, no, I I think this is like it, it's it's really tough to decide what's going to be you know the the first song on your album, especially a, a debut album because that's your shop window. Yeah. I think I think oh, singles are obviously more of a shop window, but I think the first track on an album is so important, and I'm normally very critical of the first song, and I really this. This song, Janie Jones, really got me into the album. I was excited for what was coming next. Hmm. And I felt like I was kind of immersed in the album. I felt like I, I knew what was coming, but I was excited about how they might surprise me. So I think it was a, it was a, really, a, it was really, a really an effective uh, track. Lovely. Okay, track two, Remote Control. Three so, minutes. Yeah, okay. We don't necessarily need all of the... Uh... Just for those keeping the score at home. <laughs> Well, these are these are fast songs, the majority of them. This is a bit of a longer one. So it's carrying on that theme. So thematically, this works really, really well. So a couple of lyrics. It's so grey in London town with a panda car crawling around. Here it comes, 11 o'clock. Where can we go now? Can't make a noise. Can't get no gear. Can't make no money. Can't get out of here. So it's about just being stuck. And it's almost this sort of vision of totalitarian London, really, where you are just sort of pressed on and off to go to work to just live in sort of drudgery and it is all about that idea of by the end where you've got this this chorus of them singing repression i'm going to start on a tuesday repression i'm going to be a dalek i am a robot i obey no uh, i have to i have to comment well, the here. doctor who fan's going to come in here uh so a dalek is not a robot and okay. i don't like is those it, uh, is it a cyborg no uh, uh, the, have you never seen the dalek when it opens I don't like Doctor Who. Amazingly, considering every aspect of my life and personality, I don't like Doctor Who. So basically, Who. the metal suit, it's just an exoskeleton. There's mm. actually a little squid-like thing inside. Yeah, so it's a cyborg. But, like, saying saying a... No, it's not a cyborg. Oh, God. Do you know what's the most annoying thing about this? This is going to be the thing that gets tweaked. Good. Or comments. Good. Let us know in the, let us know on Twitter. But Please basically, don't. saying a Dalek is a robot is like saying, "Oh, you're wearing a shirt, so you must be made out of cotton." <laughs> That's basically what it is. All right. Well, I mean, I don't think Jones and Strummer are going to actually apologise. No. To you about no that. Do you know what, Johnny? I don't think they could. 
I think Daleks have been given a bad name for far too long, and it's about time that we stood up for them. Mm. Well, I'm not standing up for them. Um, okay, fine. So what do you make of this song, anyway, beyond your bizarre Dalek rant? Sorry, I thought I'd rang into, rang into Jeremy Vine there. Mm. Um, so this was the second single. It released on the 13th of May, 1977. Ah, I'm going to take issue with, this, with the word they there as well, because you know what happened with this song? Uh, clearly not. It was... By they, if you mean the record company, CBS, yes, they did. And they didn't even tell the band about this. So the band had not scheduled to release Remote Control. And this is one of the major things that very early on in the in the Clash's career made them very frustrated with the idea of management and control, which is you know kind of ironic they released this song. It's all about control. Um, so they released that song. And after, after that, it symbolically became this song that Strummer and a lot of the band didn't want to play because they thought it represented this betrayal where the, the record company thought they could do whatever they wanted to mm. and thus began quite a long span of, of the Clash butting heads with management. Well, I, I can only sympathise with the band then because immediately as this song started, mm. I felt like it didn't have the same level of production as Janie Jones. Yeah. I felt like it was a huge dip in quality um, and the, the, the vocals... Just, just as a as an example, as so much more indecipherable, in an album that's pretty easy to listen to, and I certainly didn't struggle with this album as much as I did with Ramones, uh, because <laughs> that's fair enough. I, I had no idea what Joy Ramone was singing. At, at, but I, normally, I was I was fully on board yeah. with, with with the the lyrics, and this I knew is, what they were. This is Mick Jones singing as well here, you know. So the Clash have got basically two frontmen. Strummer is definitely the main one. But as in a lot of bands, they have quite a strong second frontman in yeah. Nick Jones. And he occasionally, as in this song, as in lots of other songs, some of the Clash's best songs, he's the lead singer. Occasionally, Simo, the, the bassist, would do it as well. But um, do you, I mean, we may as well talk about this now. Do you think Mick Jones is not as good a singer as Joe Strummer on this album? I, I, that, that wasn't what I, I mean, I didn't realise there was a different singer. Okay. So I suppose I can't comment on that but i did notice just a dip in production i don't know if they spent less time on it i don't know if it was recorded at an earlier point mm. um it, there's there's nice bits in the song but i just wish it was recorded better mm. uh, and there should be some kind of uniformity on an album surely mm. uh, the way i i would um feel and uh, the way i would approach an album so there's a nice breakdown midway through um but I just all the way through. I was just thinking, this is nowhere near the quality that I have come to expect just from the mm. from the first track. Well, I I weirdly also often skip this song because not because of the production so much, but because it's a bit more measured, and I don't think it's the best the best choice for a second song. I think you want to keep the energy up, and I would have gone with "I'm So Bored with USA" as the as the second track off this to keep that energy up. Maybe leave this one just a little bit later because it has that kind of measured rhythm to it. It's a lot less fast and flat out. Um, but then again, it does tie in quite well with that idea of being able to sort of be made to work for other people's good and advancement. Like when they're having a go at the House of Lords and sort of politicians who, in Joe Strummer's words, are all fat and old. And I think there was that idea at this time that what is the government doing for us? Are they actually advancing us in any sort of way? Which have you know? Of course, we can definitely not relate to at the moment in our era. Um, so yeah, anything? Any more to say on remote control? Uh, there's a very unedge like guitar solo in there. Uh, <laughs> fair enough. Yeah, I would agree. 
sometimes you can see parallels between the Edge's guitar work and bits of guitar that are going on here. And they obviously took a lot of influence, but yeah, Edge has got a different philosophy and approach to Mick Jones, really. So. Yeah, it's a lot easier to notice the similarities, but I noticed the difference in well, this in this do track. Do you point that out to us at any point when there's a difference? <laughs> this album, this album review will be only about two hours long. Um, okay, so I'm so bored with USA. This is one of my favourites off this album. It's got such a classic riff structure. Um, the do 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 do, which loads of punk bands have have used and used very well. Originally, this began as a, a Mick Jones song. It was about his girlfriend. And when The Clash were kind of starting off, because they, Joe Strom had been an incredibly successful guitarist in a rockabilly band. I mean, they were much more than that, but a, a rockabilly band called The 101ers. And Joe Strom was very, very successful. And that could have carried on and on. But when he decided to cut off from the past and become a member of a punk band, he turned up pretty much with, with nothing. So he said, what songs have you got to Mick? So Mick sings his song and he goes, I'm so bored with you. And then Joe just instantly added, no, USA. And he went, no, it's about my girlfriend. He said, no, let's make it all about how McDonald's is taking over London. Let's get rid of all these cop shows that are on TV. So it's an anti-American song. Um, or about. I think, I think it's made more interesting as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, everyone's heard of, you know, I'm so bored with, with you. That is just that general idea. Um, and... I, Hopefully he broke up with that girlfriend before that point. I don't know, actually, because he said my girlfriend, not my ex-girlfriend in, yeah. the, in the interview. So maybe so, maybe not. Um, I, yeah, I think this isn't... I don't think this is meant to be seen as a... I mean, the, the Clash certainly didn't hate America. They played Shea Stadium in one of the most famous gigs that they ever they ever recorded. Um, but it's a, it's about that Americanization and blandization of culture that they were, they were perceiving. Um, so, yeah, what, what do you think of it, Tyler? Uh, well, immediately I thought the production values were back to normal. Yeah. Or back to J- uh, Janie Jones' standards. Um, it was good. It's strange that it's only 2 minutes and 25 seconds because I began to think like it was kind of overstaying its welcome. It doesn't really go very far. What? Yeah, I don't I, it's a good it's a good song, but it kind of it labors a point. <laughs> and and it really does it it just but you need that catchy repetition of a chorus. Like no one's going to forget this song once they've heard it. But but when you see them live, they're going to play this so fast anyway. I, I don't know. I, it was it was fine, and I didn't hate it, but it was like, uh, okay, what's next? Okay, fair enough. I mean, this this to me, I think, is proof. And if you ever see this live, I think it takes a lot of talent to sound this kind of raw and unpretentious about your sound. You know, it sounds like they've just gone, right, let's turn the arms up, get it started, but then it sounds really, really good and strong. It sounds really, it's, it sounds a lot more rebellious than it is. You know, I'm so bored with the USA, and you can imagine a young kid going, "Yeah, I am bored with the, the with the USA." I, I, you know, I'm not I'm not going to go to McDonald's anymore. I'm not going to do this. I'm only going to listen to British bands. You know, like, and just for like a year or two, they just like they just solely indulge in British culture, yeah. and like they they forget everything that's American. But it's it's about a particular type of America. Like Joe Strummer, Joe Strummer loved loved Elvis, loved Woody Guthrie, loved lots of American heroes. Um, and that's clear from the style, you know. Um, yeah. But I think it was more about a, a sort of that commercialization rather than just being America. I mean, if anyone dedicated their life to avoiding American things after that, then they're a bit of a numbskull, I would say. It's it's just the, the kind of you know thing I can imagine a, a young punk doing. Yeah. The ones with the the uh, the Union Jack on on the back of the jacket. 
Mm. Like, don't paint a leather jacket. It's not. It doesn't look good, and it will really ruin your jacket. Well, one of the things that they did um, at the start of this album was they didn't really have a, a look, and Joe Strong beforehand, as as he was then, as he as he, he went by Woody in in honor of Woody Guthrie, he had quite long hair and almost looked like pretty much like a hippie, but then part of the Clash's image was about cutting all the hair, about having short, spiky hair, and they did a lot of that, particularly Paul Simonon, who was more engaged with the the artwork. So all the clothes that they've got on the front of that album, that big impact that you've got, is to do with him spray-painting thing, using brass stencils and lots and lots of paint and flicking paint all over clothing. And they're all art school students, so they had that flair for the dramatic. And I just, I just love it. I love all the iconography. The Clash were are a good-looking band. white riot this is an easy song to misinterpret so you heard it at the very start of the podcast white riot um now this song is one of the most iconic from the clash it's one of the ones um that is most raucous and i think if you want to get uh, do a little bit more of a deep dive than we can offer on this sort of issue i would really advise going to an article called anarchy in the uk the politics and people that produce punk rock this is by someone called Colin Revolting. I presume that's not his real name. I think he's a bit of a punk himself. Um, anyway, so The Clash started as a raw rock and roll band, but they had a totally transformative experience of being at the Notting Hill Carnival that year. So the Notting Hill Carnival, it's a big Jamaican music festival that was very, very popular at that time. Sick of systemic harassment and the heavy manners of the police, young blacks rose up at the carnival and fought street by street with the police. Joe and Clash bassist Paul Simonon were there. It looked like the street fighting between the Irish youth and the British Army, which was regularly on the TV, but it was in London. One thing the establishment feared was a linking of white youth with this black uprising. So that's just a little snippet. Obviously, there's much more that you can get into. But one of the things that they realised while they were at that riot, they, yes, they were standing with um, the black people who were being oppressed by the police, who were, who were beating them up with absolute, uh, absolute lack of discrimination. What they realised was that this wasn't their fight. They were they were fighting on that side, but this was a, this was a fight that was against black people specifically. And what Joe Strummer and this song and the Clash wanted to do was to try and unite people, not to say black people and white people are different and have very very different struggles and they can never work together, but that white people are just not affected by these problems in such a measure. Therefore, we need to unite properly and fight this together. And the Clash went on to do lots and lots of things to do with Rock Against Racism and the Anti-Fascist League. So. This is a song that I think a lot of idiots could say, yeah, white people deserve to riot because they've been treated badly all this time. That's not what it's about at all. It's a, it's about very specific racial discrimination in London at that particular time. And Joe actually came back to this and said, um, and I'll let you get in a word in edgeways here, um, Tyler, but I'll just, I'll just read a quote. The only thing we're saying about blacks, so he means black people there, but he's a product of his time, um, is that they've got their problems. And they're, and they're prepared to deal with them. But white men, they ain't prepared to deal with them. Everything's too cosy. They've got stereos, drugs, hi-fis, cars. The poor blacks and the poor whites are in the same boat. So I think that was what he was trying to do to sort of show these connections and these points of difference. Um, all with this amazingly violent, sonically sound on the record, on this song. What do you think, Tyler? Uh, it got very heavy very quickly, though, didn't well, it? Well, yeah, because I, I don't like this song being written off as 
anything to do with racism if you, you know as in yeah, a lot no. of people look at this and yeah. say oh white right that's a bit controversial isn't it and no there's the the clash were on the right side of history time and time again yeah it, it reminds me of the kind of people that come up to me and try and tell me that sunday bloody sunday is a pro ira song and i've not got enough time in my life to to spend on those people yeah. you know to try and just correct them and give them a history lesson yeah um so you know, you kind of, it's it's kind of infuriating, and I know like the more you you're into the the clash, and the more that that criticism would get levied at them. And I'm assuming it's a a criticism that even now hasn't hasn't gone away, and people are still misled into thinking that. And there's also it's also annoying that a lot of bands that I like are co-opted by skinheads and thugs and racists, and it's it's just it's just annoying to see something that you know comes from a position of anti-racism being flipped on its head and being used just because it has the lines white riot yeah i want to riot it's so easy but, that, but and there's a chronic misunderstanding there. yeah. there's a there's a subtlety that's been missed yeah exactly and, and you kind yeah. of you can't tell people that once they've missed something so glaringly obvious you can't mm. you kind of can't re-educate them they won't be convinced yeah and that's the i mean that's the that's one of the the very potent things but also one of the risky things about artwork you can you can turn something against itself really which is which is kind of terrifying in a lot of ways um what do you think about the actual the actual song then did you enjoy it yeah i did uh, and i don't i feel like i knew the song but i didn't know i, I didn't feel like i knew it that well and so was kind of surprised that it popped up if i had a song you know prior to you listening to this album if i'd have sung those first two opening lines of the chorus you'd have been able to kind of finish it off if you know what i mean oh i don't know about that <laughs> um i'd have known what you were doing yeah, I mean, it would be an odd thing to do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it seems to be one of those uh, songs that's kind of... It doesn't get... There are a few Clash songs that get played mm. a lot. Yeah. You know, you'll you'll hear them, not just in rock clubs either, but you'll you'll hear them on, you know, jukeboxes in pubs and uh, or on the radio, like, hey, uh, not, not hey-ho, let's go, God. Uh, like, um... Let's be bop. I'm on about... The London Calling? Yeah, London Calling and uh, Should I Stay or Should I Go? I Fought the Law, you know, things like that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, maybe maybe this does seem a little less accessible than those poppier songs, but I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if I heard this on Radio 2, for, for example. I think it's got... Mm, it's quite raw, though. I mean, It's, it's quite, quite raw, but it's... I don't know, I, I kind of... I guess, like a lot of other songs on this on this album, kind of what you were saying right at the start. The it's a single, quite, I suppose, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, it's catchy. There are yeah. there are there are ways that you could convert a lot of these songs to just a simple acoustic guitar, and they would still sound nice and catchy. And there's a lot of melody there. It's not just. I mean, this is something that that punk can sometimes be accused of. It's not just people playing very fast, very loud. There is actually a song under this. Um, yeah. yeah, there, there, and there is a rebellious kind of mischief hmm. in the tone of the song. If you see some of the performances of this on YouTube as well, the crowd do almost get to the point of absolute frenzy. Yeah, um, and the, there's a lot of clips of the clash. another gig I'm going to want to seat at then. <laughs> well, I don't think you could get seats at a lot of the places you were playing early on. Um, but the Clash, like you two, were very concerned about their audience, and um, there would often be times when the bouncers wouldn't understand that they were pogoing or jumping or dancing or you know proto moshing or whatever and would just be 
leathering them and lamping them and moving them out. And the Clash would have to stop and start shouting at the bouncers, saying, like, get off them. And the Clash could do that because they were such good musicians. They could stop straight away, deal with something, and then carry on. In another note, this song uh, in 2005 was voted as the uh, number 44 in a list of the greatest guitar tracks ever by Q Magazine. That's a very odd choice. Look, I like this song. I yeah. love this album. There's about three other songs on this on this album that I'd say are better in terms of guitar. The guitar is fine, but it's just very like you know squawky and messy, and that's it really. I'd say the bass and the drums drive it more than anything. What I like about that though is it, that song's obviously been considered because it's nearly thirty years later mm. where it's been put in. The, and normally these lists, as we've said before, they're so arbitrary that it's it's full of you know the big songs from the last. Fifth, uh, five years or something yeah, yeah, yeah. and the songs that get played and played and played so for a song like this to last mm. 28 years and then be put in I, I kind of respect that I think it's been considered it's not just been put there to promote a current artist Yeah. so I, I like I kind of like that I stand by it Look, it has a legacy and it definitely has an influence my friend Andy I think one of his very first bands I'm currently in the band with Andy now um, they were called White Riot and they used to play this song. I've seen lots of people play it live as, as, as a cover. So the legacy will carry on. And hopefully people will you know, stick to the actual the legacy of the, of the song as, as it was originally intended. Um, which moves us on quite nicely. To... Just one minute. Uh, I should have done this in the in, like before. I've just had an idea. I want to see oh dear. what songs beat it. To kind of try and prove my point. So feel free to fill. And You're not I, going to read 42 songs, are you? No, I'm not going to read them all. I'm just going to, you know... Right. Well, Tyler's no just... doubt when Robbie Williams pops up, I'll tell you about Robbie Williams. Right, well, Tyler's going to read through this. Um, I'm not going to try to flail around and fill. Um, so we'll be back in one second and Tyler will present his workings. And we're back. Tyler, what have you found? So I'm just going to start uh, start number 34. That was The Clash, White, uh, White Riot. And I'm just going to read out some that might be of interest at 31 for example we've got ramones with blitzkrieg bop mm-hmm. uh just under that at 30 we've got the red hot chili peppers and can't stop uh mm. 26 the sex pistols pretty vacant uh hero smith at 23 we've walked this way oasis are in at 20 with supersonic uh 16 acdc whole lot of rosie uh black sabbath paranoid at 11 uh, the White Stripes with Seven Nation Armies at number eight. Mm. No, that had only been out two years at that point. It's a very catchy one, but it's not as good as a lot of those other ones. Uh, top five, I'll read out. Uh, number five, Beatles, Helter Skelter. Four, Nirvana, Smells Like Teen Spirit. Three, Led Zeppelin, Whole Lot of Rosie. Two, Rolling Stones, Jumping Jack Flash. And one, Jimi Hendrix, Purple Haze. It's always Hendrix. <laughs> always <laughs> Hendrix. Oh, not you again, Hendrix. I just, I, not that I have a problem with Jimi Hendrix. It's just, is that a Rolling Stone thing? That, that's a Q magazine from 2005, uh, the 100 greatest tracks ever. I just want to see what 100 oh was. 100 was the Osmonds' uh, Crazy Horses. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> right, uh, let's move on then. Number five, Hate and War. Two minutes five. What do you think about this one, Tyler? Different tone. Uh certainly a different feeling but i think it's there's it's a more melodic song yeah than the previous four tracks it's good to have that change from the abrasive 
assaults yeah. of the first ones. You get that. You get a sense that they don't mind. I, I suppose there's no rule book. There's no. There's no. No one's saying in the in the clash camp. No, it's got to sound more like this because we are this band and we're punk. There's. They don't mind going off into the more radio friendly territory they definitely which they obviously did later on they definitely had a lot of influences around this point i think the one thing that they wanted to do was not not be prog or the kind of or hippie-ish style of music that had been around before but what you get on this is a little bit of an indication of paul simonon's influence in particular because he coming from brixton and having that reggae influence in his life I think that's where you get that on the bass line here right away. As soon as that bass starts to walk in, it sounds much more inflected by reggae and that kind of area of music rather than just your standard, I don't know, just standard kind of proggy, rock and rolly type of Rod Stewarty kind of, you know, feel. Yeah, and I don't think anyone's accusing them of, of doing anything like Rod Stewart, but it's um, it, it just... It's a nice, it's certainly a nice change, and um, again, that word accessible. They want people to listen to this music. Mm. They don't want. Um, I think they want people to chant to this music as well. Yeah. Particularly later on in the song, where you've got the two voices kind of dueling it out, and you've got Mix shouting hate and war, and then Strummer coming in with something his his more kind of, um, I don't know, more guttural way of singing. Um, that, that the two voices mix better here than at any other point on the album, I think, and. Yeah, it is accessible, but it's it's meant to be accessible to you know crowds of people. So I, I love Hate and War, and it it is that articulation of what was going on at the time. There was a lot of violence. I mean, comparatively speaking, in the streets, a lot of communities were being targeted, and for a lot of people, there was a lot of hatred. Yeah, and um, that's what they want to move on from. It's not really there's not really much to say apart from no, I don't think there's much to say. Uh, really. In terms of just listening to the album, it it's just a nice. Little, it's a change of energy. Mm. I think is the best way to put it. Yeah, and if they just barreled on into this next song, then I think the album could be accused of being a bit samey. Um, but we've got here, "What's My Name." Um, this is really one of the real highlights of this album. I used to always love hearing this song. I think again, it's it's very catchy. It's very pulsating in its rhythm. Whenever you see live versions of this, um, the drums really come into their own. For it's those, quite echoey yeah. as well. Uh, for those people uh, that have followed us from review two, uh, this is a very good example of what a young U two must have been been looking at because the opening mm. is very similar to those early uh, nineteen seventy nine eighty recordings that you'll see of you two turning up on TV shows. It's and those early songs which you don't really hear much about. It's yeah. it's very similar. Uh, but this is one of the only songs uh, where there's a change in writers, isn't it? Uh, so what you've got here is Keith Levine, um, who was also an early member of the Clash, who eventually got sacked for just not turning up, which it was a good thing because I, I would argue if you you don't turn up, you've quit. Well, yeah, well that was the thing. I think I think Joe said if you're not going to bother turning up, don't bother turning up at all. And Keith Levine went on to do other things with other people, so he's he's definitely not someone who just dropped out of all recognition. I think he worked with Public Image Limited after after a while. Um, but he had, obviously, a hand in writing this song and therefore is to be praised because it's such a good song. Um, but it's 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 not something that you think, oh, that's a really, really different sound there. It's it's still The Clash, I would argue. Yeah, well, it still sounds like The Clash, but I think this is the first song where I noticed any similarities between you 2 and, and The Clash. I think the guitar is a little bit more... 
yeah, just delayed in a lot of places. Um, this to me, I mean, it's a song that if you just read through the lyrics, could be there's some sort of little narrative going on about someone who is who is excluded from life and becomes something of a, I think it's something of a burglar. He's talking about creeping around your house at night, and um, and there is a narrative there. But to me, this is much more about. I might be reaching here, but Strummer's own like kind of crisis of identity. So he was the son of a diplomat. You'd think from looking at Joe Strummer and listening to him on this album, you'd think he was, you know, working class London basically, but he wasn't at all. He was the son of a diplomat. He was actually born in Turkey and went to boarding school and had a very very good education because his, his dad had a had a very solid job. What um, was his real name? His real name was John Graham Meller. Um, and he changed. Ah, oh, that's got punk written all over <laughs> it, hasn't it? <laughs> exactly. I mean, so what happened is he changed that from John Meller to to Woody um, in honor of Woody Guthrie, and then and so for a long, long time he was called he was called Woody, and that's and when he was in the one on ones, that's how people would refer to him. Then afterwards, as part of this cutting away from his previous life with the one on ones and that rockabilly lifestyle and the hippies he was hanging out with in this squat, he said, "I'm Joe Strummer now," and you couldn't actually talk to him. And call him Woody without him getting annoyed at you. He had made that decision. No, I'm not that person anymore. So, a lot of people um, in the documentaries I've been looking at talk to talk about how when they met him after he'd started in the Clash, and you they run up to him from his previous life. It's almost like the shutters were down. He just w- wasn't ready to be part of that life again. So he sort of recognised you, but be like, mm, I'm not that person, Woody anymore. The other thing is the um, the drummer Top Ahead and later on. He noticed that Joe had, um, because he used to have that kind of pompadour haircut, he'd noticed that his hair had kind of gone up into a little spike. Pompadour, he, I like that word. <laughs> and he looked like um, <laughs> and he, you know, Woody Woodpecker. Yes. So he said, all right, Woody. And he went, don't effing call me that name ever again. Because he thought he was referring to his past life as, as sort of Woody Meller. You know, and oh, so, right. So this was becoming a member of The Clash was a very serious thing at that time. They they did treat it in very, very sort of Stalinist terms. And that's not my phrase, that's that's their phrase. They would cut people out of their life. So they weren't just shedding old musical styles. They were shedding relationships, all to dedicate to this new sound, which, as I said at the start, was a lot, largely owing to the Sex Pistols. Strummer said five seconds into that Sex Pistols performance that they saw, they realised the past needs to be scrubbed out. That doesn't none of that music's going to work anymore. We need to do something entirely new here. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I hate to say but props to the Sex Pistols for, for that for that kind of influence. For someone who doesn't like the Sex Pistols, you do mention them a lot. It's because they're the kind of the annoying, gobbing elephant in the room um, who I, I, I sort of grudgingly respect, but I, I, I mean, just don't I, like them. I much. had... Um... Never mind the, uh, you know, uh, the... Uh, the old chaps. Never mind the danglies. When uh, <laughs> when I was a, a I teenager. I it was worse there. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I, I, mean, I mean, I bought that album when I was about 13. It's a good one for that. Because it's I, very good for like teenage angst. Yeah, and I don't know if I've listened to it since that time. Mm. And the more you mention it, the more it makes me want to go and dig that album out and, and give it a listen. I, I don't want to do it on Tumble. Not for a long well, time. Well, we can't do everything on Tumble. No, no. Um, just to largely sort of circulate back as well. Part of the reason why why I said I brought up the whole thing about Strummer is he's saying, what's my name? At this time, possibly he was searching for an identity and, you know, he'd only just started being Joe Strummer. Was this going to be his new identity that he dedicated himself to? 
or was this actually just going to be a little bit of a fad and he would go back to his old mates and hang out and say, I'll be in the one-on-ones again? Nothing was certain right at the start. The Clash were incredibly successful incredibly quickly. Um, but I just think that What's My Name thing could refer back to that. Or if it doesn't, it's a little fanciful idea that I like. So there we go. Fair enough. I, I, I didn't know any of that, so I couldn't draw any of those conclusions. Um, now, with the next song, Deny, I have no notes. <laughs> which, off your page. No, which I don't understand. If you look there, there's just nothing in it. Made a big impact on you then, did it? So, I don't really know what's happened because I've got notes for the next song. But can I, you hear it in your mind? It, <laughs> yeah, it's somehow it's embedded. Yeah, the, okay. You sounded like um, your impression of Joey Ramone though. So I'm gonna have to look at the lyrics to actually remind myself about it. Um, but this seems. I don't know. I got the impression this was like a, about a, a breakup or the, the breakdown of a, of a relationship, yeah. and you know, and, and we're get only really getting one side of it. I don't know how close that is to um, well, what's actually happening. I don't know definitively about whether this song is about a um, is a definitively about a relationship that's romantic or if it's about a friend. Um, what I know is it's about someone who is very flaky and obviously as the chorus keeps repeating um you know you're such a liar and there's that really great verse in it that's about heroin that's really really rich in terms of its tone so if you i mean i would recommend anyone just going back and who wants an idea of the kind of the incredible versatility of 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 the clash and particularly joe strummer's voice listen back to that verse um where he's talking about the fact that he's got a friend or maybe a girlfriend who says they've not had any and presumably mean heroin in weeks but then baby ass in your arm all the different tones that are in that verse are so good and it makes the clash uh, such an interesting band to listen to i also think this is a, a song that's got some of the best kind of melodic work and this is probably the closest i say you get to an edge sound here where it goes ding 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 those types of riffs with a lot of echo on them and then you've got lovely backing vocals there, which you just don't expect from this album. After hearing Janie Jones, you don't expect to hear this sort of melodic work and then backing vocals. It's it's really, really well produced. Um, and I think it's a song that's forgotten quite a lot. Um, well, particularly by Tyler, who's, who's just not bothered to bring his notes on it. Um, well, all the other notes are there. You can see them. I just, I don't understand. We're not going to solve this mystery No, I, I genuinely don't understand what, what's happening there. Um, I think this song, for me, it's probably the case of, like... In the past few weeks of, of Tumble, we've only we have legitimately only been giving each other a week with an album. Yeah, and and I think it's just one of those songs. That if I had a bit more time with and I and I you know paid a bit more attention yeah. to the lyrics, then I would have found a lot more. It's also definitely a deep cut rather than an obvious single. Yeah, you know, you but from what, from your description it. though, it's a song that I want to go back and I want to you know reassess. Yeah, um, but I think it would be kind of unfair to do so now. Mm. It, some of these songs and some of these albums, um, you do need a, a much longer than a week, and obviously we're, we're gonna uh, we're gonna continue to listen to a lot of them. There's, there's quite a lot mm. of the stuff we've already covered that I'm still listening to and have on quite heavy rotation. Yeah. yeah. Um. So hopefully, like, I'll get to come back round to this and and check it out again. Mm. But at, at the minute, I think we're just gonna have to go with your notes because I'm. I genuinely don't know what's happened. Well, I haven't got much much more left to say. It's um, it's a great song, and it's, it'd be one of those songs that if I were to try to get the clash across to a U two fan, it would definitely be one of the songs I would show them. 
because it's not just got the Clash's energy, it's got some melodic stuff, which I think is actually quite similar to what you two were doing not too later on than this. Um, my only bad thing I've got to say about it is the outro is just a bit too long and a bit too scrappy, and I, th I would have faded it out a little bit earlier. Um, that's well, that, me, that's the end know. of side one, isn't it? So they're probably trying to use some plastic. Uh, I thought the end of side one was... I thought there was seven on each side. I thought London's Burning was the first track Let's on side two. I mean, it doesn't matter at all. It matters to me. Literally no one cares. I'm with you guys. Don't worry. He's still checking. <laughs> well, you could you could fill. I, I, could, I could fill. Hello to you on the bus. I hope there's no one smelly sat next to you. Right, brilliant. What a lovely sentiment. I always um, get the smelly person on the bus. Do you not? No. I, every time they come and sit, it's like I'm a smelly magnet. Maybe you're the smelly one. No, because the smell arrives with them. Okay. <laughs> well, anyway, um, London's Burning is the last song. According to according to Wikipedia, the UK version, London's Burning, is the, the end of side one. Okay. So uh, let's let's finish it off. I, I mean, I think it would actually fit better if Deny was the last song. They're not burning one. plastic yet. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, yeah, London's Burning... This is this is another. I mean, I don't just want to keep saying, "Oh, this is a great song." This is a great song. The but, very start reminds me of Desire. Yes, yeah, yeah, very true. Did you get that? Yeah. Oh, that's good. Um, well, sorry, no, I get that when you say that. I'm In brackets, I've put only the very start. Yes, I mean, it quickly <laughs> becomes something quite different, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, I I think this is another song that shows how quickly and naturally uh, Simonon learned the bass guitar because of how well it moves around in those verses. Um, there's a few songs on this album which actually, you know, date back to the earliest incarnations of the Clash, and I was wondering if this was one of them because it it, it can it does sound quite different. Um, I I don't know exactly when it was when it was originally kind of formed, but I know that it's a song that was a firm fan favorite. It was one that obviously because it's got a very sing along chorus. Yeah, it's. Yeah, I think it's. It, I always put this one in the same group as "I'm So Bored with the USA" in terms of how catchy it is. Yeah, this is one of the catchiest ones, and you can really imagine being in those, you know, those sweaty clubs. Yeah, with the ba with the band playing, and you you know you'd be crushing up towards the guard at the at the front, piling in the back seats. And it's, I think it would be really, it'd be re it'd be really front. Just that na na na. I heard it as na 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 na, but it's nine 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 nine. Yeah, which, which is not the correct number no, if, you, you're, if you're struggling to breathe. You're not going to get anyone really if uh, if if you are actually on fire. Yeah. Do not call that. Imagine though, imagine like some some teenage punk and like an old lady's collapsed in front. Oh God, what was that number? Oh, the Clash were singing about it. Oh, nine 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 nine. Beep beep beep. Well, also, they wouldn't they wouldn't have a mobile phone, would they? Oh, that's true. Yeah. They'd have had to run a mile for a a, a payphone. By which time she'd be dead. Right. So anyway, um, this to me is such a good song following on from um, the Ramones review that we did last week and a lot of the songs of this album in terms of carrying on a theme about burning with boredom. That's such a great metaphor, isn't it? London's burning with boredom now. That was how The Clash felt when they started producing this music. So and it's a great way to describe that idea of sort of young, you know, early 20s or teen angst burning with boredom. So it's not just that you're bored, it's that you... You've got some real frustration to get out of it. It feels like a Sunday afternoon, this song. You know, when you're really annoyed and you just want to do something else. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I love it for that. And it's a great song to play. It's a great song to listen to. 
and it'll always just you know put a spring in your step i believe yeah i think i think the ability to to be bored is a fault in our evolution I have no, no long. Speaking as a as a bored as, person myself, I think you say speaking as an evolutionary biologist <laughs> or psychologist of some sort. Um, well, you know, Ian Foster said in the passage to India that most of our lives are just stretches of boredom, and it's these t- only tiny little fragments um, that you get of actual interest. Most of life is just waiting around for stuff. Yeah, the more distracted you are, the less bored you are. So the more the more easily distracted you become, mm. the less the less bored you are. But I think that we live in an age now where you're not able... This is me get up my soapbox. You're not really able to be properly bored because you've always got... You know, not for me personally, like Candy, Candy Crush or whatever those weird mobile games that's just so addictive. And I don't think you could say, are you actually having fun doing that? I don't think anyone would be like, yeah, it's amazing. You're just staving off boredom. You're just trying to fill in a little gap of I time. go through phases of being like properly addicted to Angry Birds where I, I can get... Re- my street. I can get really competitive... Because you you can play like the leagues now mm. where you compete with other people, and if I lose one of those matches, I am so annoyed. And actually, a few months ago, I was playing a guy called Actung Baby, and he beat me. And well, I and totally I fitting. I found it such an insult to <laughs> to me as a person that Actung Baby would beat me. It really upset me. <laughs> so um, tangent there. Next song, um, <laughs> career opportunities. Yeah, career opportunities. Um, I always think this should be played um, when you know whenever you meet the uh, the job counselor or job person at your high school, um, just to <laughs> just to sum up what it's like, really. Um, what do you want to do when you when you leave school? I have no idea. I'm 16. Like, wh- what do you what do you want to do? Mm. Like, you're in your 30s now. What do you want to do? 31. 31. Yeah, you're in your on. 30s. I'm in my 20s. I want to carry on being a teacher. Oh, fair enough. I, I have no idea. I mean, if someone offers me Rockstar, I'm not going to turn it down, but you know, I need, <laughs> need some songs and things. Oh, uh, yeah, Johnny, uh, I'm being a Rockstar. <laughs> right, anyway, so career opportunities. This is less than two minutes, but it's got everything that you need to know about The Clash. If you want a real a real snapshot of this album, I'd say this is, this is absolutely perfect. Um, it's fast-paced. The chorus is great as well because it's not just a continuation of the same rhythm. It's that bang, 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 bam, bam. It's so different. And it's I'm, all, so I'm always amazed by your musical impressions. <laughs> well, I think that captures it quite well. It's choppy, is what I'm saying, and then it builds up really well. Now, I'm, as I've said before, I'm not much of a drummer, but I was playing this the other, the other day. Are you struggling? No, well, yeah, because it's so good. Um, I don't think it's completely on beat. And I was going to ask you if it's a weird type of um, time signature because it, it didn't marry up mm. in my head. It's like, this isn't completely, you know, 4-4. I think Terry Chimes, the original um, drummer, would admit that he was not the best drummer that The Clash had. Um, but drumming offbeat is a skill oh, that mean. very few drummers can actually do. Well, I don't know. I mean, it sounds pretty good to me. It sounds fairly decent, but I will say, with with when London Calling, in particular, if you listen to the the drum work done on that, Topper Heaven is the absolute star of that album. He's makes such a difference to the sound and the rhythm of the Clash, and he is he's just phenomenally good, or he was before he became a heroin addict, and and you know sadly. Uh, to well was chucked out of the band really. Heroin is not a performance enhancing. <laughs> Heroin is not a performance enhancing drug. No, it isn't. Um, as we, as we found out last week with with Dee Dee Ramone. Um, yeah, so I I think this song is great and 
this was another thing where the clash when they when they started they didn't really know what to write about they were in uncharted territory and um bernie rose the manager said just write about what you know so they looked through they looked through the newspaper and they you know paul simon said let should write about career opportunities just about the fact that there were very little job sorry very few jobs available at that particular time um and apparently the line um i won't open letter bombs for you is um to do with mick jones having a job where he had to he'd be opening let- letters to make sure they weren't they weren't actually didn't have bombs in them and these there's a series of just menial jobs here that are shouted out all the way through that the clash considered if that's what your life is going to amount to just making tea at the bbc then where's your ambition you know where's your drive to go further and you can imagine thousands of fans of the clash absolutely screaming along with these lyrics because they were stuck in boring dead-end jobs in that Jenny jones world kind of situation and yeah, it's, it's so incredible. Listen to the, this, the version of this at Shea Stadium if you get a chance. I think you could make tea anywhere. <laughs> Me? Uh, yeah, pick the corporation. I think you would pass any audition for making tea. Thank you. Thank you. My tea-making credentials have been firmly established. I think I think it is your biggest skill. Well, I, I'm not going to say that. Just, you know, I, I, I couldn't speak highly enough of your bruise. <laughs> and you know I don't like being nice to you. Okay, well, um, what do you think about this song then? I thought it was really good. Um, the, the the guitar was really simplistic. Mm. It was kind of like a one stroke or a two stroke on a on a chord change. Yeah. Um, and I think that's probably the only song on on this album where that's the case. There's it's, more complicated it, songs on this album. It's not being songs. it's not being uh, thrashed out. And I I find myself really enjoying it. And this is one of the ones that I've gone back to more, not just listening to the album. Mm. Um, so it's it's a possible favorite. At yep. this at this time, hmm. um, the only other thing I wanted to say is um, on a later album um, called Sandinista, which was an actual not just a double album, but I think it might have actually been a triple or quadruple album, definitely a triple, um, where the Clash just put so much music and then sold it for this, you know, the price of a single album. Um, but very later on, on the second disc to that, I had it as a CD. They did a very odd version of this song where it's being played on a piano sung as normal in terms of the lyrics but sung by a child it's so weird and not weird in like oh that's interesting it's just awful so um yeah anyone I, who wants to hear the song ruined go and listen to a later version by quote unquote the clash well you've you've seen these videos on youtube you know where bands will get a, a child up from the audience to play guitar or yeah. or drums or sing or, or whatever you know yeah. it's a nice little thing and, and not... used to do it repeatedly live and it would take up about 15 minutes of song time well the ones that make it online are normally like superstar yeah. you know they're really really good and the other day i was going through and i noticed that uh foo fighters had put uh or foo fighters um had put uh, a, a video up of dave Grohl's daughter coming on stage to play drums and i and i, and I was watching this obviously a young girl you know i'd say younger than 10 right and i thought i wonder how good dave Grohl's daughter's going to be mm. at drums She's been around it all her life. So I was watching it, I was watching it, and he was introducing it. I was like, what are they going to play? What are they going to play? And do you want to guess what song she played? Um, Breakout? No. Everlong? That we, would be tricky. We Will Rock You by Queen. Oh, right. Well, she's 10 or 9 or whatever. But am I, am I wrong for expecting more <laughs> from Dave Grohl's daughter? 
I just think, why put that pressure on a child? I mean, she wanted to do it, fair enough. She said she wanted to do it, but I would have waited until you knew a more complicated song. I I hope it gave her a confidence boost, and I'm sure it did, but come on. Yeah, I would have picked a Foo Fighters song, not a Queen song. Yeah, Monkey Wrench, something like that. That's very fast. Hammer it out. But that's what I was expecting, and I think when you see videos like that, that's what you expect, because we've seen these superstar kids. Well, I'm sure it's adorable to a certain amount of uh, people. She did come on in Ugg Boots, and I thought that's the first time I've ever seen Ugg Boots on stage at at a rock show. This is a very odd tangent that we're going down. Should we, uh, should we, should we try and get back? Yes, let's go back to cheat. Yeah, this is one of those songs that I actually think could have been pretty much cut straight straight away. It's not bad at all. It shows a different side to them. There's a bit of phaser in there, which is interesting. So that's that's odd because I wasn't expecting that from mm-hmm. this album. So they, they sounds do... more like a prog track, doesn't it? Oh yeah, for a tiny bit. Well, not 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 the actual song because it's only two there's, minutes. Well, long. there's fuzz in there, and there's fuzz and phaser. Now, Jimi Hendrix used used fuzz a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he, I think he put his name to the first fuzz pedal pedal, or he was the first person to use the first fuzz pedal. Well, he pioneered a lot of techniques, but yeah, go on. Um, so like when I started hearing those effects, I'm like, oh, I didn't, really didn't expect to hear that. Mm. Um, and that's where I, I got the. That it sounds more more prog and it sounds more tra- more traditional. Well, there are some production effects definitely on this. I mean, I'll I'll, I'll agree with that. There are there are some interesting production techniques. Uh, but I I didn't I liked it and I and I thought it was a new sound late on in the album. And you know how much uh, much of a fan I am of a an album should be a buffet with lots of different flavors. Yeah. And and I really um I really appreciated this track. Well, I mean, the the main thing I remember and, and like this track for, even though I, I think it's inessential, basically, and I know that The Clash ran into problems with the album being under length, which we'll, we'll come back to later. Um, but the one reason I do like this song partly is because of the, the witty lines, don't use the rules. They're not for you, they're for the fools. And you're a fool if you don't know that. So use the rules, you stupid fool. Which I think was a, an interesting swerve at the last and that last word, which I found quite amusing. Um yeah, not much more to say on cheat. I don't. Uh, but I, what was the rhyme that they? Well, that's the point. They avoided the obvious rhyme. Were you listening to a word? Oh, you don't know that. Yes. So right. use the rules, you stupid. Uh, cat. Fool. Fool is what he says. Bat. <laughs> yes. Anyway, let's not go through the entire alphabet. Protex Blue is the next one. This is, I would argue, one of the grimiest sounding guitars ever captured on record, and I mean that in a really positive way. The opening to this, where it goes, it sounds so good. And considering that this was a £4,000 album, there must be loads of people who aim to get a guitar to sound this kind of raw and just seedy and grimy, but they don't manage to do it. Whereas they, they've just managed to achieve this on a shoestring. Well, uh, this was written before Strummer joined the band. So I imagine this song had been around for well, a long time as it's, well. It's it's a Mick Jones song, so it it wasn't it, it probably was circulating for quite quite a bit, um, and this is named after a particular type of contraceptive um, device. Is that what it is? Yes, I what... looked up um, Protex, and it it was soap that came up. Well, oh, but it's only like a contraceptive. A Protex Blue is is apparently it was a condom that was popular. I thought it was either time. a condom, uh, a pill, 
or uh, or Viagra. Well, I'll read some lyrics out and you can make up your mind. Sitting in a carriage at the Bakerloo, erotica in my pocket, got a packet for you. Mm. Advert on the escalator on my way home. I don't need no skin flicks. I want to be alone. So this starts off a well, it doesn't start off, but it's part of this grand it tradition. It could be a Vi- it could be Viagra. It could, it could be, yeah. But I th- I'm pretty sure from everything I've ever heard about this song that it's a it's a it's it's a condom. I think that's what it's about. Mm. Um, it's, it's a hard one. Oh dear. Um, this starts off a tradition, though, or at least there is a long tradition in punk music, which has been followed up um, in our generation, Blink One Eight Two, Green Day, um, that's very focused on this sort of area of what young men get up to. Um, and I, I, I like the song a lot, but it's it, but mainly because the the tone of the guitar and the seediness of it all uh, matches what the subject matter is. Oh, and also right at the end, he shouts Johnny Johnny, which is which is definitely a reference to Colin. So I think it is definitely. You were like, he is. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So so that that I think that added on to it at the end. As as a nickname, kind of cements this. What do you what do you think of? Do you enjoy listening to this song? I really enjoy listening to this song. Um, before, very lively. Before I started to consider the the name, mm. uh, another yeah, very lively, another new song. But then I, I started to think that Protex Blue sound. It, 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 the song actually sounds like a theme tune. I thought it could be used as a, a theme tune. Yeah. And then it got me thinking. Protex Blue sounds like. Um, a, a, like a comedy and then I, and I was thinking like you know Protex Blue with Robert Lindsay Friday at 9 BBC 2 yes fair enough and, that's, and, and like th- that was just going around my head and I was trying to think what Protex Blue could be about well uh, cop shows are usually have blue on the end of them yeah and so I was thinking a cop show and he's protexting the people <laughs> I don't know that's awful well I don't know it's your show uh, I'm not writing this. <laughs> well, Don't get Robert Lindsay too excited. He's not got much to do these days now that my family's been cancelled. Well, um, on that note, cop show, Police and Thieves. Police and Thieves, yeah. The longest track by far on the album. Yeah, which is kind of strange when because you get used to like you know getting into the song and it goes away mm-hmm. pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh, so I first thought, oh god, this is going along, going on a bit. And that was at four minutes. I had another two minutes to go. It's all, it's all gravy. It's all enjoyable. And I, th- I don't think we've been primed for this, you know, length of track. Mm-hmm. So it, it really struck me as strange that I was actually, oh god, this this track's been on for quite a while now. I've managed to make all my notes and look at a website for for some information about it, and it's still on, mm-hmm. which is not a luxury I was used to with this album. It was written by Junior Mervin and Lee Perry. Mm-hmm. Lee Scratch Perry, the original. Um, what do you mean the original? The original version of yeah. the song. I thought you meant like <laughs> Just, that's his nickname, the original. <laughs> yeah, as if his son is you know <laughs> Lee Scratch Perry the second. Well, also he means called Scratch Perry, so he doesn't need two names. Um, yeah, so that was the, it was originally written by by them, and um, this was. Do you like this one? I love this one. Yeah, even I though it's verging on reggae. I like I, right. Okay, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say I'm a massive reggae fan because I'm clearly not a massive reggae fan. I don't know that much about it. I. I like this type of music when the when the Clash do their version of it, and it's not that I dislike reggae. It's just I've not really got into it particularly, um, and I think it's so good as a change of pace. It's really really welcome, and I like the story behind this one as well. Um, the fact that this was the soundtrack to the Notting Hill Carnival um, in 1976, 
and what happened was in solidarity again with that that riot where the police were beating up young black people they basically adopted that and took it on for themselves where they they and make it their own really and so i think that's that's really really important in terms of the clash showing and you can, on the documentaries um, there are a couple of interviews where people talk about the clash opening up that era and that era, era the clash opening up that whole domain of punk music to a black community who to be fair didn't have very much representation i mean if you look at the the main bands it just looks like a lot of angry white people doesn't it mm. so they were saying let's open the doors to everyone and they would go on to do um, a song that would appear on the u.s version of this album called white man in the Hammersmith palais which is again to do with that idea idea of reggae and has a lot more of a a beat to it that's a lot a lot more complicated than just thrashing out punk um so i think this is great apparently they they didn't like it particularly um perry and mervyn but they said you know whatever that's that's it's fine if it's if it's going to be something productive they they i think they have originally thought that they'd actually butchered it a little bit but i think it, they it liked... changes around a lot which is really interesting yeah um like tonally and i've just been looking at the lyric structure and that is all over the place as well there's no set rhythm going on in terms of lyrics well did you notice at the very very start what joe strummer says because there's a bit where it's just beginning and before the song gets properly going and establishes its beat um we're going through a tight wind <laughs> tight wind he says going through a tight wind man oh, right. which is a, of course a reference back to who else was going through a tight wind Ramones, I don't Ramones, know. yeah, exactly. Did they say that? Yeah, it was a it was a tribute to the Ramones, basically. That that little bit of the, the start there. It's only a throwaway line, but it's a tribute to to the Ramones. Okay. Well, I thought, well, right, I thought it was an interesting little little factoid. Apparently, it's, it's pearls before swines. Again, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, my my criticism is it just overstays its welcome. It, it's long, I agree. Yeah, and especially when you've been used to the pace of the rest of the album, I get that. Um, but there's not there's not a section that I don't enjoy of this. Even at the end when it changes a little bit and the strummer's basically just singing police. I think it's I think it's nice. No, I I agree. It's 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 um it's good. It's not nowhere near my favorite track on the album. Mm. But it was. I mean, I get the sense that we're not going to see everything that the Clash can do, because there's nowhere so near. there's so many different. Yeah songs and i think that really leaves it open for the next and we the next album and i don't think you had to wait very long for the next album well they kind of rushed the second album like a lot of bands i mean like with some of you too and um it was underbaked i would say give them enough enough rope is not my favorite clash band uh, clash album by a long stretch um but what i do like about this is there is a that that welcoming and that solidarity with black culture and black music but there's also just an indication that maybe this band is doing something a bit more interesting than three chords as fast as you can, you know. Um, yeah, maybe we should move on to 48 Hours. Yes, okay. Um, I've got, I mean, this is a very short song. So again, the, the disjunction is quite One minute, here. 34. Four. Yeah, oh. compared to the six minutes that have just gone before. Um, this is, it's a bit like Cheat. It's, it's kind of a slightly less essential song for me. And it, but again, it's about the idea of boredom and that you can make, you need to try and take take on responsibility for shaping some sort of interest out of your boredom. So 48 hours, that weekend space of time, it needs 48 thrills, according to Joe Strummer. So 
whether that's playing music or seeing your friends or getting drunk or doing whatever that's what 48 feels have got to be and it's that idea of let's let's do something with this time because it's so short and let's not get let's not be bored during the weekend as well as a week where we've got to work um so i don't have that much to say about this song really um I thought it was a fun little song, nice and hooky. Mm. But I think I'm, you know, with you, the shorter a song is, the last time you f- you feel in, yeah, um, devoting to it, I suppose. There's just very little. I don't know. I've just got, I've got very little on a deeper level to say to it. I bet it'd be fun to see live, um, and I guess it speaks a little bit to that idea that you you can hear in later Clash and Strummer interviews about people just not having time to do interesting stuff the clash were in a fortunate position that they managed to through various factors strike it lucky and got to be in a, a rock band rather than you know making tea for the bbc or doing anything you know that was that was boring was boring and and they 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 in later interviews they would talk about how people these days it's all a matter of money i imagine living in london nowadays and having the time if you if you are poor or working class to actually you know, where are you going to get a studio? Where are you going to have time to record something or do anything creative? How are you going to get the energy after you've worked nine to five and you're absolutely knackered? It's just no possibility of that anymore. And then you've got the absolute viper's nest of trying to get noticed. So I think the class were quite happy about being able to do this kind of thing and mm. celebrate it. So that's pretty much all I've got to say about 48 hours. Yeah, let's move on to the final track, Garage Land. Uh, three minutes, 12 seconds. Mm. So uh, this strong, this strong, this song was written by Joe Strummer as a response to the music journalist Charles Shah Murray. I love this story. It's a good story, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> who, after a gig in 1976, wrote a review saying that they were the kind of garage band who should be returned to the garage immediately. It also served as a declaration to the fans and their new record company, with which they had signed for a contract of £100,000 um, in 1977, that they would still remain the same as they were before they were signed. You didn't read the full quote. Oh, the full quote. He says they should which, have... Which I've got Go here. Okay. Go the Clash the kind of garage band who should return to the garage immediately, preferably with the engine running, which would undoubtedly be more of a loss to their friends and families than to either rock or roll. Now, mm. the reason I enjoy that is because you couldn't write that anymore. No, you couldn't. It's so out of order and so... <laughs> Like violent, it's like yeah. it's one thing to say I didn't like this music, yeah. but not, to not my cup of tea. but to in a review wish death upon the band, wish suicide upon an entire band. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you couldn't get away with that note, but I love how harsh mm. the, the reviews could be. Obviously, it needed to be brought back from that, yeah. but the fact that that was printed, yeah, um, it it, it just, just shows you the time, and it I, I found that very funny. Yeah. It's kind of. It's the kind of thing you read about and go, oh, I can't believe you, you did that. It's it's almost too much, but I, but, I enjoyed it but, and it did make me I laugh. I guess the good thing is that The Clash took that energy and like a lot of negativity, they turned it into a positive. They made a song that's very catchy. Yeah, and it's all right to say that, you know, well, you know, I meant it humorously. And he probably did, but in print, it doesn't come across that way. No, no, it doesn't. And yeah, you couldn't say this these days. He didn't finish the. The the, uh, the the quote was then followed by the guitarist on the extreme left allegedly known as Joe Strummer has good moves but he and the band are a little shaky on the ground uh, uh, that involves starting, stopping and changing chords at approximately the same time so he really went for it with The Clash Yeah, and I would imagine this is uh, so the guy is 
Charles Shaw Murray. Now, I don't know who that guy is, and I don't know how old he was at the time, but I would imagine that his favourite band was Genesis. I think, actually, he... I think he was keen on the other acts that were around at that, that point, like the Pistols, but he wasn't keen on them. But I, I don't know, I'd be putting words in his mouth. But yeah, I don't think he got what The Clash were about. And I think by The Clash's own admission, they weren't fantastic that day, to be honest. Um, however, he was... Obviously... Everyone has an off day. Oh yeah, he was obviously colossally wrong. Um, I mean, that leads us on quite nicely to some of the other major quotes that sort of fly around about The Clash at this time. So uh, Mark Perry, who um, actually... he founded the punk magazine Stiffing Glue, another link back to last week, um, based on Now I Want to Sniff Some Glue. Um, and his his main quote that he's always been remembered for is, Punk died the day the Clash signed to CBS. And this song is meant to be a message to the fans, look, we're still going to keep things raw and passionate and have integrity. Just because we've signed to CBS doesn't mean that we're not going to carry on that way. Mm. And, uh, and the other quote, which I, I won't get away with not mentioning... Um, was actually from the record company. They said that the Clash were the only band that mattered, which is, I mean, it's a it's a well known quote, and a lot of people have used it in a serious context. So major fans of the Clash have said that. But it's a hostage to fortune to say to everyone, "This is the only band that matters," because what you do then is every single person who's listening to that or going to see him live then just folds their arms and goes, "Oh, really?" You know, you put yourself in a bad position, aren't you? Saying, "I am the best," and it wasn't even the Clash that said it. It was somebody said it about them. So again, more fury at the uh, at the record label. Um, what do you make of it as an actual sound? I liked, I liked Garage Land. I thought it was a re- really good way to finish an album. I think you've got a strong. They, they they lost themselves some sometimes in the middle, but I think you had a strong opening and a strong closer. Mm. A lot of time, that's all you can hope for from an album. Yeah, you know, with with a couple of good singles in the middle of, of the album. I thought it. Was, I thought it was really good. I thought it was a really good showing. One of the best debut albums I've probably ever listened to. Mm. Not, and again, I'm not a huge fan of um, punk? Of, of punk. Mm. So the the, uh, the Clash or Ramones or Sex Pistols or The Damned are never ever ever going to be high up on my you know my priority list of of tracks that I listen to yeah. in my spare time. And we've said from the start, though, this is this is about us trying on some different musical hats, you know. I'm not a massive Iron Maiden fan. Yeah, but in terms of creating an identity, is this, this is who we are, this is who we're appealing to, mm. they really make a strong statement. Yeah. They they make a strong argument of why you should stick around and see what this band are doing, and it's, it is exciting, it is full of energy. Mm. Um, so, I, yeah, I really enjoyed it, and I thought it was really worthwhile to go... And listen to this album, and maybe, maybe I will get more into punk when I listen to this this album, you know, from time to time. Yeah. What I would, what I would say is, taking that momentum forward, skip over the next album, given enough rope. Like, let's not say it's bad or not without merit, but skip over that and have a, have a good listen to London Calling because that is a phenomenal album. That was that's my favorite. Clash I album. remember loving the London Calling album cover when I, when we used to go in Music Zone. Yeah. They had it on offer for years. It was just always on offer. As a poster or as a, a CD. As a CD. Yeah. Uh and it was it was always on offer. It was there with Stone Roses was and and uh, was always another one that I remember being sat next to it forever. Mm. Just just sat there on offer forever. And I, I, I really liked the cover, and then I, I saw the Elvis cover, which it was a take on. Yeah. Uh, and I, and I like that link, but I, I think the London Calling cover is really cool. It's funny as well that that cover though, because that cover sort of fits the ethos of the Clash, um, 
at this point, point yeah. yeah. Whereas they moved into not at that point, yeah, not really at all. I mean, you listen to that album, yeah. There's 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 fury and there's there's passion, but there's also a lot more chilled out, jazzy, bluesy type stuff, um, which is probably it doesn't. I mean, if you listen to that album, expecting to hear something, you know, like someone smashing up a stage, it's not going to work for you. Um, I will say, if anyone is if anyone is interested in London Calling. Um, and really wants to do a deep dive on that, that I would recommend the remastered special edition, which has got the vanilla tapes with it, where you can, it has a DVD, and it goes into the recording of that, and it's so interesting, it's really fun, and there's so, the cast seems to have done a lot of filming behind the scenes, very strange actually, um, that they, they're so prescient to do so much filming of their very early work, you know, when they're actually then and there recording things off London Calling. There's nothing more valuable than content. Well, they knew that at that time, I mm. suppose. Um, yeah. So, besties, worsties? Uh, well, what's your worstie, Tyler? My worstie is remote control. Yeah, it, it, I do like remote control, but it comes at a bad point in the album. Uh, my worstie is... Let's have a think about this Ooh, one. A live reveal. I shouldn't be building it up this much. Oh, cheat! Yeah, it's just it's just cheat. sort of not used, not not needed. Yeah, I, I, song, I can see that. I can see I that. Like um, my bestie then is career opportunities. Ding ding ding! Me too. We're re- we're, we're 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 getting in sync with this now. <laughs> well, uh, I, don't, I don't want to do sync. No. Yeah. Okay, so uh, performance-wise, then um, these statistics are from 1999. I don't know how these statistics aren't live. They should be by by this point. Uh, but it, the in the UK and the US, uh, the album has, has gone gold. That means it sold over 100,000 in the UK and over 500,000 in the US. Mm. Um, but again, that's not been updated in 20 years. That's It's just not good enough. Well, you can, go, you, you can go on the BPI website and it, it'll give you all, all the results. And the mm. other problem is this album's been re-released several times. So, so the original version doesn't they don't add on the sales. Yeah. Like, I was thinking about this before. The this. original version has its own sales and then the the re-release has that that's that own sales because it's got a different uh, product code. I think we just got to accept that this album we should have said this much earlier. Um obviously there was a US edition it got released because they two years it, later. Yeah, yeah, they considered it was too rough for the um US market and they released a more radio-friendly version with songs that, to be fair, are a bit more radio-friendly. Um, some absolutely cracking songs on there, and I just don't think we've got time to to do all the different versions of different albums, but things like Clash City Rockers and Complete Control, absolutely incredible songs, particularly live versions of Complete Control, but I'm not going to go on about that. Well, there we go. We hope you enjoyed uh, this episode of Tummel. Uh, that's six episodes in. Hmm. I think we've reached a natural breaking point. <laughs> um, I mean, time for a break. Normally, we like to stick to a, a six-episode series structure. That's not to say there won't be an episode next week, but don't bank on it. I mean, who's banking on it? Um, well, I think I think we've genuinely got some people who look forward to this. Oh no, I don't. I agree. Look, I agree with that. I just don't think they're all sitting around the radio with mother ready. As know, soon as they go live, though, I'm I'm shocked at how uh, how quick. this 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 is just bragging. Yeah, we should we should talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're rubbish. Um, well, no, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> what I will say is, um, if you do, and I keep forgetting to this, if you do actually value what we do for free, by the way, um, if you do value this in any in any way, um. Obviously, sharing us is, is great, but um, iTunes reviews are the things that actually get us 
further up the queue in terms of charts, ergo we get more listeners. So Yeah. And if you follow us on SoundCloud as well, then you will get an instant notification whenever a new episode is released. Mm. Providing you've got the notifications turned on for SoundCloud, yep. um, so that's the that's the best way to uh, that and Twitter is the best way to keep in touch with us and and find out what we're up to next. But I mean, the best way to help us is to do an iTunes review. I can't can't stress that enough. I really got to say this. <laughs> also, do the iTunes the iTunes review, uh, please. Um, so we will be back with Tummel. We we're really enjoying this, um, and we've got a few ideas about where we're going next. Yep. If you if you've been lo- watching on Twitter, you'll kind of know where we're going as well. Uh, but um, we don't know exactly when the next episode will be. But I'm in favour of it being sooner rather than later. Live in hope, we'll be ready for disappointment. My <laughs> motto for life, really. Other than that, we'll see you in a bit. Bye. Goodbye. Hi there, thanks for listening to the show. If you'd like to get in touch, please contact us on facebook.com forward slash review 2 you or on soundcloud.com forward slash review 2 or search for the Review 2 podcast on iTunes. You can also email us at review2contact at gmail.com. Please like, comment and subscribe. Thank you. Okay, so as a little bonus for anyone who's got to this point in the podcast... I thought I would stick on a really brief clip from a long time ago. So this is me and my then band Three Screws Loose playing a cover of a Clash song, which I only found um, the other day, and it just brought back a lot of memories and how much I enjoyed like you two imitating the Clash and trying to mimic their energy. So it's short, it's scrappy, it's me on guitar and singing with my then band. I hope you, I don't know, enjoy it might be too high of an expectation, but here it is. Oh, if you want me, I'll get back.